Every December, we pause whatever series we're in and look specifically at Christmas doctrine. I just love the month of December, so let me just tell you right up front, Merry Christmas, all right? Amen. Thank you, Chris. I love this month. And I love preaching during Christmas because I think it is one of the most theological and doctrinal times of the year. We'll say more as each week unfolds, all right? For a moment, would you recall with me what, is a, what was in your past a long night? And I mean physically here. Like, when did it seem like the night would never end? And if you're the parent of a newborn, you're thinking, oh, that was just last night. <laughs> Possibly so. I know Julie and I were talking about this question this week, and we both had memories of that. Like, yes, some of our longest nights or when our kids weren't sleeping. And, man, we've both watched tons of reruns in the middle of the night. Uh, I thought of another one for my life personally. When I was in college, I and a friend hiked part of the Appalachian Trail for a week. <clears throat> we backpacked it. And on one of those days, it just poured. And we kept thinking, we'll keep hiking, and it will end. And it never ended. So the entire day while we're hiking... We just got drenched. And so towards the evening, we found a shelter. It was unoccupied, so we utilized it. Undid our backpacks, and everything was just soaked. And so we're in this shelter, and of course, the rain had cooled the temperature, so we're, we're wet. All of our stuff is wet. We're trying to unpack it, trying to figure out how to get it dry, and that's an impossibility. And, and it was probably at the earliest, eight or nine at the earliest. And I'm thinking, man, when's morning going to get here, Right. And I remember sitting up trying to find a position in this wooden shelter, trying to lay down. There's no covers. There's nothing. There's, no, there's nothing. And it seemed like the longest night. We did find this tarp that we had packed. But have you ever tried to use a tarp as a blanket? It's noisy. It got the name Thunder Blanket in the course of our camping trip. <laughs> Finally, morning came. Uh, we, the sun did peek through and things dried out on the rest of our hike. Um, maybe even metaphorically, you're thinking about when was a long night for you? Maybe a time in your life when it just seemed like, wow, is this difficult trial ever going to end? Think about that moment in your life, whether metaphorically or physically, when you had a long night. And we'd probably all agree that it seems like when the sun comes up physically or when things begin to end, that the brightness, the dawning of a better day just brings hope to us, doesn't it? There's something about light. And the sun rising that just seems like, okay, we can give this another shot. This is the case for God's people. In Isaiah chapter 8, the story is told to us of their long night. Will you locate Isaiah 8 and set your eyes on the final verse, would you? Isaiah 8, 22, And you'll find a summary statement for God's people and their condition during this time. Look what it says with me. They will look to the earth. In other words, they're, they're trying to find some hope and some light. And it says they're actually just going to see distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they'll be thrust into thick darkness. That's a gloomy, despairing situation, isn't it? What Isaiah is describing here is the, the beginning of God's judgment upon his people. The year is about 740 B.C. It's about 20 years prior to Assyria coming in and overtaking the capital of Samaria in the northern part of Israel. This is a, a good bit before the southern part falls. And this is Isaiah prophesying that for a while, 
God's got a heavy hand on you. It's going to be a long night. But this is actually what makes the first word of chapter 9, verse 1, so comforting. Look with me. Put a finger on this word, but. Say it with me, would you? But. In the middle of their long night, look what God promises. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious, or the word there means weighty or powerful. He's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And this verse undoubtedly says to us that their long night would not last forever. That God would, would end the darkness, the thick darkness, the, the distress, the gloom, the anguish. God would end it. The question is how? And what we're going to see in verse 2, look with me there, is God would end their darkness with his light. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness... You can correlate that to the idea of having a, being in the land of contempt or back in verse 22, distress and anguish, and gloom. He says, those people who walked in darkness, they've seen a great, what is it, church? Light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has, say it with me, light shone. And so God is here saying that he dispelled the long night of darkness that Israel was in through his light. And this morning and the rest of this month, I want to take some time and analyze these verses in Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7, and let's bask in the beauty of God's light. This morning, I just want to talk about two essential truths in regards to God's light, which dispelled darkness for Israel in this moment and is the dispelling factor in our darkness as well. I want to talk about how the light of God is progressive and the light of God is a person. So let's just analyze those two this morning briefly, can we? Notice, first of all, this light that will dispel the darkness, it is a progressive light. Notice the verses 2 through 5. And let's read these again and just follow along with me. After promising to bring their land into a much more glorious day, he then kind of enters into this poem, this, this type of Old Testament poetry. He says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire." And what you gather from this kind of poetic language is there's a, there's a progression in place. Something that was dark and gloomy is going to be bright and glorious and light. This is going to be because God's light is brought into the situation. Now, let me show you three places I find the progressive element. I want to make this very plain for you. I find this progressive element, first of all, in the plan that's mentioned. And I want to take you back to verse 1. Look what he says here. That there is this part of Israel. It's the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. It's in the northeast corner of Israel. It's the very first section that was uh, invaded by the armies of Assyria. And so it was the first to experience overthrow. 
He says that part of the land, as well as the other parts, it's going to later be glorious. And then the last phrase says a Galilee of the nations or Galilee of the Gentiles. Here's what's happening. God's saying that what was exclusively the Jews area is going to become an area where there'll be Jews and Gentiles and there'll be light there. Now, what's he saying? Well, if you go to Matthew 4, you'll find that this is the exact portion of Scripture that Jesus used after his wilderness temptation. He leaves Nazareth and he goes to Capernaum or he goes to this area of Israel, Galilee, and he begins his ministry. And he says when he begins his ministry, by the way, on the people in this land, a light has shone. He was speaking of himself. And so God is showing something here that there's a, there's a plan in place and it's progressive. What was a, kept, a captivity and judgment will one day end and then God will bring his son and he'll be in this very same area and he'll be the light not only to his people, but to all who believe, Jews and Gentiles. So it's this progressive kind of plan. I also see the progressive element in the verbs that are used, what I would say, the prophecy. Now, now hang with me here, because this is something quite intriguing. If you'll read the prophecy, by the way, this was written just as um, the Assyrian army was invading the northeast corner of Israel. It would take about 20 years before they would reach Samaria, and then uh, even much, many more years later, they'd uh, another army would reach uh, the southern part. So this is years before all of that. And yet he's, he's speaking of, in verse 22 of chapter 8, of course, this coming captivity. But as he gets into the prophecy, he actually then, in verse 2, talks about the light as in the past tense. Do you notice that? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, but they haven't seen it yet, have they? In fact, the actual captivity and overthrow is still to come as well. So what you have here is this odd timing, this odd tense of verbs. Like Isaiah speaks in one tense here and one tense there. And I think what he's doing is this. He's showing us that from God's perspective, yes, the, the, the judgment is still to come, but the, the light that will dispel their darkness, their freedom from captivity and the eventual coming of Christ, because it's in God's timing and his plan and his providence, it's as good as done. And so he speaks of that in the past tense, even though it's still future. And so some of this is kind of intriguingly odd in some ways. It's poetic language, but it's showing us something that, that God's future promise to bring light to their darkness in his mind, though it hasn't happened yet in your experience or in their experience, in his mind, it was as good as done. I love the way that Isaiah speaks of this as, as a promise already fulfilled, even though they were just beginning their dark night. And so that language shows me something. There's some progressive things happening, but I see it mainly in the pictures Isaiah deploys here. Look at verse three. There's an agricultural picture, isn't there? It's the picture of harvest. You see what he talks about there? They're gathering the harvest. They're dividing the spoils. And so in a harvest situation, there's always the, the tilling, the preparing, then the planting, then the waiting, and then the reaping. That's a, that's a progression, isn't it? So the word harvest here kind of lets me know there's something progressive is happening. And then the last picture is a military picture, verse four, verse five. He talks about the yoke of a burden, the, the tramping warrior. And so as in, in a military battle, there's the preparation, then there's the uh, uh, battle that ensues, and then there's a, hopefully the eventual victory. So both of these are pictures of progression. So it shows me something, that when God is promising to bring light unto his people, it is a progressive light. It's something that occurs over time. We used the word last week, incrementally. This is true about God's plan and his light. Here's some words you could use that I think really describe it well in relation to the word light, in fact. We could say that God's 
light is dawning or God's light is rising. In fact, the writers of the Bible use this language. Look at Isaiah 61, chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The idea of of, of a sun, so to speak, you know, rising over the horizon. Something's peaking and, and crawling over. We're going to see the sunlight in a dark night. Peter would use this very same language. Listen to this, these words in 2 Peter chapter 1. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And the morning star rises in your hearts. Do you see this language of of God's progressive plan? Here he's probably speaking of the second coming of Christ. Isaiah speaks of the first coming of Christ. And in both situations, you have dawning, kind of rising language. It lets us know that God's light, his plan, is a progressive light. It's revealed incrementally. It unfolds to us over time. As I was thinking about this, it made me... Uh, think back to when Jill and I visited uh, Acadia National Park in Maine several years back. And before we left the area, we knew we wanted to visit uh, Cadillac Mountain because Cadillac Mountain is the highest point on the northeastern seaboard. And if you get to that place, you'll be the first person in America on that day to see the sun come up. So we thought, let's go. So we drove up Cadillac Mountain hiked the rest of the way up and found us a spot. And there were other folks there as well, had our little camera with us. And we were waiting. We probably left at 2.30 or 3 in the morning, got there maybe at 4. And uh, it was dark. And so we were waiting. And it was a little chilly, to be frank with you. And so we were waiting. And for some reason, once you get all set and you're waiting, it seems like time just creeps by, doesn't it? It was flying by earlier, but now we're there waiting. And we're like, it's 4.05, okay. And it's 4.06. We're <laughs> just kind of waiting and waiting, Right. But we knew this, the minute we saw the sun begin to peak over the horizon, it would just be a matter of time until we would see the sun in full view. And so we just waited, and we waited, and little by little, the sun appeared. Spiritually speaking, the same thing is true. Jesus Christ has come. He has dawned. He lived his life in real time and space. He's an evidential, historical person, God in the flesh among us. He inaugurated his kingdom. With every passing day, we know the sun is increasingly in view. And one day when he returns, we'll see his kingdom consummated in full view. And so with every passing day, with every passing month, with every passing year, we know that one day we'll see the sun, S-O-N, in full view. That's the incremental nature of God's plan. From the Old Testament to the New Testament and forward, it's an unfolding, progressive kind of light. It is dawning. It has dawned. It's rising. So in light of that, let me just give you an applicational tip. Jot this down, would you? Hopefully, uh, God's, uh, God's light's progressive, so hopefully anticipate what's next, not what's not. Now, when I say hopefully, I mean hopefully as in the biblical sense of the word. I don't mean cross your fingers hope. I mean confidently hope. This is the kind of hope the Bible talks about. Because it's rooted not in a hunch 
or like, well, let's put our best foot forward and, and take a shot. Biblical hope is rooted in the certainty of God's promises. And guess what God did in the first advent? He fulfilled every single of his promises in one person, Jesus Christ. Over 300 prophecies fulfilled exactly and perfectly in Jesus. So because we have this assurance of what God has done, the promises he has kept in real time and space, historical evidence, we can most assuredly say with confidence, with biblical hope, we anticipate what's next, not what's not. You see, often we look at the future with a half-empty type of mindset. And I admit to you, some things about our culture currently, they can look dreadful. But that's not what's next for us. Elections, pandemics, situations, that's not what's next for us. We may have to endure those and deal with those. But what's next for us is the second coming of our Lord and Savior. And so we confidently anticipate that. We stand on that with hope. And we can stand on that with hope because God fulfilled his promises and sent light in the first coming. And it's been dawning ever since Jesus came. And the sun's getting increasingly over the horizon, month by month, year by year. And there'll be a day coming when we'll see the sun in full view. Hallelujah, church. Amen. Well, notice with me a second truth about this light, would you? That this light is not only progressive, but this light is a person. I find this in the very first two phrases of, chapter, of verse 6. Look with me. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And can you just notice, first of all, the word for? For is an explanatory word. It means what I'm saying now explains what I've said earlier. And so he's saying that this light that I've said will make the, the way of the, uh, the, the, the land of Israel glorious. It'll be the place where the light begins his ministry, where all these things happen. It'll be a progressive situation, like a harvest and like a, a victory. He says, this light is a child. This light is a son. And then you read through the rest of Isaiah 7, uh, 9, and if you go back to Isaiah 7, other chapters, you'll find he's talking about the son of God, the one brought forth from a virgin, and so this light is not only progressive, this light is a person. And in one sense, we can say this, and we, this is theologically accurate, that though God's plan is progressive, it does pinnacle, and I'll use that word almost in, a, uh, in that sense, it, it pinnacles in a person, Jesus. It's the culmination of God's plan in that way, and yet there are still unfolding aspects to God's plan. And this is the verse that tells us that God's light that dispelled the darkness for his people initially and continues to dispel our darkness is a person, it's a child, it's a son. Now, I'm going to spend all of next week in these two phrases because there is incredible richness in these two words, child and son. So I don't want to get there yet. I just simply want to let you know something, that Isaiah here is actually predicting and prophesying what the New Testament writers affirmed. When he connects the fact that God's light is what dispelled their darkness and would dispel the darkness to come. And that light is a person. Uh, John affirms this. In fact, he's the one New Testament writer that affirms it the most. Look at John 1 with me for a second. Look at John 1, 7 through 9, in which John says this. He came as a witness, speaking of John the Baptist, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light 
the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So John here is using Isaiah language, we'll call it, to reference the coming of a Christ, saying that what, what Isaiah prophesied and, and told you, that in your darkest days, God would send a light. That light is here. I'm bearing witness to it. And it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. Notice in John 1.14 that this light, it's the word who became flesh and lived among us. And this light revealed to us the glory of the Father because he was from the Father. And so when Jesus began his ministry, like I said, in that area of, of the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, guess what he said in John 8 about himself? Look at this verse in John 8. He said, I am the light of the world. So John affirms that what Isaiah said was true and Christ even claims it and confesses it. And he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So can we pause here for a moment and rejoice in this? That the only answer for your way out of darkness is God's son, Jesus Christ. Can I make another appeal to anyone listening, watching, or in this room who's curious about Jesus Christ, wonders who he was and what he did. Jesus Christ was a real person in time and space, but he was sent by God, and so he was God among us. And as such, he's the only one who can dispel the deepest darkness of our life, spiritual darkness. He brings the light of God into that, and he rescues us from sin's power, sin's penalty, that only by believing in Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the light of God, can anyone be right with God. And I just make a strong pastoral urgent appeal to anyone who's yet to believe in Jesus. Leave your darkness behind and in repentance and faith, turn to Jesus, God's light for your darkness. He will be your rescue. It would sound something like this in, in the motif of light and darkness. It'd be like, you would say to God, God, my life feels like a long night right now. I don't know where to turn. I don't know how this ends. I don't know how to be right with you. But if Jesus is your son and he died for me and was raised from the dead and he can bring light to my darkness, then God, I believe that Jesus is your son and only through him I can be forgiven and saved and, and brought out of my darkness. God, will you do that for me today through Jesus? And God will do that. He'll bring you out of your darkness through the light of his son. And simple faith, repentance, and belief is what God asks for. That's what he says in John 8, wasn't it? If you follow me, you'll not walk in darkness. He said in John 1 that if you believe on the light, that's why he came so that all would believe. So I'm just urging those who've never trusted Christ, believe in the light of God's son, Jesus. Now, there's one more applicational tip to make in light of this, no pun intended there, in light of this truth, Okay. Here's a good applicational tip since we know that this light is a person. Intentionally celebrate the Savior, not stuff. Now, this is not new news to you. You get reminded of this every season, don't you? Radio uh, programs, podcasts you listen to, blogs, and things you read in print. Your pastor, we tell you, you know, he's the reason for the season. You hear that. You've heard that for decades. You know why you get reminded of that? Because it's true and because we forget. And the commercialization of Christmas creeps up on us, doesn't it? And then it lulls us to sleep. and We start thinking it's more about stuff than the Savior. 
Now, I'm not against decorations. I especially like a lot of Christmas lights. We usually decorate with a lot of them because they remind me of the light of the world, the light, Jesus, God's son. So I think you have to use the secondary to spotlight the primary. So whether it's meals, decorations, themes, events, presents, I don't think that's wrong, but they can sure get out of whack and out of place, can't they? So I'm asking you this season, as we do every season, let's make sure we utilize the secondary to spotlight the primary, that it's Jesus we celebrate, the person of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead. That's why we celebrate Christmas. He came to us. Here's some ways you can do that. I made a few notes here. Read along with other Advent devotionals. We've given you one. There, there are lots of Advent devotionals. And take extra time in the holidays to read those. I'd encourage you to read some other books as well. One of my favorites, I'll mention another one next week, but here's one for this week. Um, Andrew Kostenberger has a book called The First Days of Jesus. Uh, he's a prolific writer in regards to theological concepts. And if you want a really good book to just talk about the birth of Christ and all that it means and its richness, pick up Andrew Kostenberger's The First Days of Jesus. It's a rich read in December. I also want to encourage you this. Talk about Christmas doctrine around the dinner table. Um, or if it's in your small group or maybe in the car drive, different places where you have time with your husband, your wife, or your children, just bring up Christmas doctrine, such as the incarnation. Talk about the virgin birth. And there'll be lots of questions, but man, conversation is one of the best ways to keep embedding into your children true and right doctrine. So talk about it when you're eating and driving and, 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 and maybe putting up decorations or stuff like that. And then have a good routine for Christmas morning, whenever that may be for you. Some of you have Christmas morning on Christmas Eve or two days before or even after. Whenever your Christmas morning is, have a routine that really spotlights Jesus. Our family ministries team is going to give one to you in a week or two, I think. They're going to send one out to you, especially for dads and moms here, That's just in case you don't have one that can give you a guide to use. Like, here's a way we can make sure that when we open presents and we celebrate each other in that sense, that it's, it's secondary to the real primary meaning of Christmas, the coming of Christ. I recall one year when our kids were really little, um, when I watch it now, I, I'm almost embarrassed, but... Uh, we had everyone act out the Christmas story, and you know they played all the parts, and we videoed it, and uh, the things they said. Now they watch it, and I was like, "Man, I can't believe I said that." You know, uh, they were arguing over the baby Jesus and whose it was, and <laughs> who's somebody didn't want to be Joseph, they didn't want to be a shepherd, and it turned into like a church split. Okay, <laughs> so, but it was just one of the ways to kind of keep highlighting. Here's the real meaning, and so we didn't do it perfectly. We're still aiming to do it better, and I trust you'll join us in that effort, that it won't be about the stuff. It will be about the Savior. So let me see if I can give this to you in a single sentence. This first week in Isaiah 9, we just looked at the first five and a half verses. What does it tell us about this light, this glorious light that God would bring? And this is why Christmas shines brightly, of course. Here's what we'd say. That Christmas shines brightly because of the person of Jesus, who is the pinnacle of God's plan. That's what we're going to see this week. And, and we're going to expose now and, and kind of reveal and talk more in the next few weeks about the person of Jesus, his humanity, his deity, his authority. We're going to look at every single title mentioned here in verse 6. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're going to you know, just unpack a lot of these in the next three or four weeks, including Christmas Eve. So I really look forward to this series. But in this first week, 
We're just letting you, letting you see something, that God promised a light to his people. And that light was progressively revealed and it was pinnacled in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Now, as you meditate on that take-home truth, I'll share the story that I read this week in some of my reading. It was about an artist who had painted a picture of a winter storm and a solitary house kind of enduring the storm. And the tree branches were sagging with snow and you could almost just hear the wind whirling by looking at the picture, the way the, the uh, elements were used and, and the house was foreboding and dark and it almost sensed that the storm was overtaking the house. And then, with one stroke of his brush, the artist dipped it in yellow and put one mark in one window of the house. And immediately, like magic, the entire um, scene changed from one of a foreboding type of, of darkness to one where, oh, in the middle of the storm, here's the light. And suddenly the house was one where you seemed like you wanted to find refuge there. It was a place of rescue. It seemed to, to kind of shout hope and radiance and cheer and brightness just from one stroke of the brush. And can I say to you that Jesus Christ is the singular stroke of God's brush in our dark world. He's the place to find refuge, comfort, peace, cheer, brightness. And he has come, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. So I encourage you, wherever you are on the spectrum of darkness in your life, and can we just all be very real here? I think all of us would say we're, we're facing something that we might place on this spectrum of darkness. Like, man, I'm in a tough situation. Yours may not be as difficult as someone else's, but probably most people here have something they just came through or about to enter or in the middle of. That seems like a long night, doesn't it? You know, God knows that. And God loves you. And his best stroke of his brush was in a person named Jesus Christ who can sympathize with every one of your long nights because he had them too. And I would urge you in the middle of your long night of your thick darkness Run to the light of Jesus. Aren't you glad that God brought his light to us? That we weren't left in our darkness to try to find the light? That God brought it to us. He's a missionary God. He's the first step God. He's the proactive one who came after us. I know we sing, oh, come all you faithful. But the truth is, Christmas is all about how the unfaithful are now coming. The undeserving the unworthy, because God brought his light to us and said, all who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me. And so for a few minutes, our worship team is going to sing this truth over you. In fact, here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to bask in the truth of this scripture, Isaiah 9, and the, and the reality that God brought his light to us when we weren't faithful, when we weren't deserving. When we were in gloom and anguish and, and despair, God saw our plight and sent his son to be the savior of the world. And so they're going to kind of give a new take on an old carol. And I want you to stay seated. 
You won't know every part of it. You may hear some lines that sound familiar. So you can hum along if you want, but I just want to encourage you to stay seated and let this song be sung over you as we kind of officially, on the second Sunday of Advent, kind of kick off Christmas at First Family. Think back to the day that God's light was revealed to you and your unworthiness and your unfaithfulness that God brought Jesus to you, brought redemption to you. As you think about this song as, as it's sung, it'll also be a way for our, our believers here in this room to prepare for communion. And your heart will be prepped, readied to remember the death of the Lord Jesus. For that's why he came. He was born to die. So church, I'm going to leave you with our worship team. And they're going to sing this over you. And I'm praying that this musical meditation will kind of light the flame, kind of flip the switch of God's light at Christmas. Because Christ is the reason that Christmas shines so brightly.
hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.